Thank you for listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help you win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, come and see us and join the Passion Church family. Visit our Facebook page or our website at passionchurchmo.com to find out more about us. Romans 15, verse 1. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. That word scruples is a feeling of doubt or hesitation with regard to morality or propriety of a course of action. So it should read this way. We then who are strong ought to bear with, and I'm reading out of the New King James, so maybe different says weakness probably in, in the King James. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. We ought to bear with those who have a weak moral constitution and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Here's our example, verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it was written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. We'll just leave that right there at the moment. Now go with me, if you would, over to chapter 14 in Romans, starting with the first verse. Receive one who is weak in faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. In other words, embrace somebody who has weakness in them because we all start at different levels, and it takes time for maturity to grow into the body of Christ. But he says, but don't let it become something that, is, that, that turns into disputes and causes divisions and troubles. Verse 2, for one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him that eats despise him who does not eat, and not, let not him who does not eat, judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Verse 5, And one person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind And he who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. I don't know what, that makes me want to shout amen right there. For to the end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge you, your brother? Let me say that again. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. Verse 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken evil of, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's getting to the heart of the matter here. Verse 18, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. 
Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Verse 20. Listen to this one now. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it, it is but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Is it good, or it is good, neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak? Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. That's kind of an odd chapter, I know, and you're probably wondering where in the world is he going this morning with this. I want to give a quick introduction, and we're going to get right with it. I have kind of a strange title to our message today. Uh, I'm calling it 12 Shades of Gray. Oh, man, 12 shades of gray. <clears throat> Back uh, when I was a kid, I was raised uh, in this movement, the Pentecostal movement. I was raised in Assemblies of God, and my grandfather was an Assembly of God pioneer and traveled around and picked up little troubled churches and put them back together. But Pentecost in the early 1900s, really in the birth of the true Pentecostal movement from the Azusa Street outpouring, of course, there were people who who uh, had the, the blessing of the, of the gift of the Holy Spirit and speaking in unknown tongues and all that stuff long before that. But that was when it really all came together and became an organized movement uh, in the modern times. It was an organized movement, certainly in the time of the disciples. And uh, throughout history, there were pockets of it. But in the early 1900s, when the outpour of the Holy Ghost came, how many knows the word says that in the latter days... They'll do great and wonderful and mighty exploits, right? And uh, we, the latter days, you know, for this generation really started around 1906 is where it really started. And here we are now in 2018, and we have seen some of the most powerful things of God. And we've seen waves of revival come and ebb and flow. I'll make this as quick as I can. But look at this. <clears throat> when Pentecost first happened, there were miracles the new movement of Pentecost, miracles, signs, and wonders, people being healed, people being touched in powerful ways. And it was a great move. And there are still books being written today about all of the exploits that happened in those revivals. But unfortunately, that particular move of God also married into the Puritan movement of the time, which was legalistic, condescending, and filled with clothesline preaching. Is this all right? Yeah. You're joining us today by streaming. God bless you. We're glad you're with us. Lean in just a little bit. I got something to show you. When I went to church as a little boy, when we first started, uh, the Pentecostal movement was still married to some of its legalisms. And I know for a fact that sometimes people would come in, and, and, you know, we had all kinds of rules. Women had to have their hair long. Sarah, you were showing me your beautiful haircut today. It looks so good. But there was a day that Pentecost would have shoved you out the door for cutting your hair. And we wouldn't let women wear makeup, and you couldn't wear jewelry. You couldn't have earrings because earrings were the devil's stirrup to get on your ear, mount up on your mind, and get a hold of you. Oh, come on now. And we preach that clothesline preaching because, ladies, if you had a dress that showed any of your need, they, a woman in the church would have been assigned to run to you and put something over your lap so that you would not be a temptress to those men in the congregation. In fact, we, they wore dresses down to their ankles. And I honestly think for years women were only shaving their ankles. I don't know that for a fact. 
like a gorilla in bobby socks. Anyway, it's just a joke. It's just a joke. <laughs> Men oftentimes were really discouraged from facial hair, even though all the Pentecostal pioneers all had big, long beards. The length of your dress had to be uh, below the knee. You couldn't have bare arms. And certainly ladies, I don't know why we put a lot of it on the ladies. Ladies, when you mow the yard, do not wear those devil pants. Do not wear pants. Do not. Oh. oh. Do not wear shorts. Because if a brother drives by and sees your legs, oh, he's liable to go into sin. Well, if he's got that much of a problem, he needs to get to the altar, don't you think? But we were real good at defining legalistic laws for people to live by. Is this all right? And I literally think they forgot about 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, when God said that God doesn't look on the outward appearance of man, but he looks upon the heart of man. But we were masters at building what I would call fence laws of Pentecost. <laughs> and I've seen many great people who wanted an encounter with God who would wander into a Pentecostal church. But because of our legalistic overbearing way, we would, we would discourage that person by trying to cover them up or hide them or tell them to get that make, go to the bathroom, get that makeup off your face. Come on now. And we ran off a lot of good, good people, people who got hurt, who never come back to the house of God. And simply because we wanted everyone to think like us, walk like us, talk like us, bend like us, be like us. This is the same thing that happened during the time of Jesus. Paul is still dealing with it here in Romans because you have two sets of believers now. You have the Jew and the Gentile. The Jews have strict dietary laws. The Gentiles do not. And it's causing factions. Those who follow the strict code expect those who are Gentile to follow the code. And it was causing feuding factions within the body. It's the very thing that Jesus came and, and stood with uh, nose to nose with the Pharisaical Pharisees of the day to let them know that what they were doing was putting people in bondage instead of bringing them to the Father. In Adam, Adam didn't need law. He walked with God. But when he fell, man suddenly became lawless. And there was no written law in the first several hundred years of our history as mankind. And it wasn't until Moses came, God had already had to destroy one entire generation because they became so evil when there was no law. That he instituted the law through Moses, and Moses gave ten powerful laws handed out by God, carved by the hand of God. And then he went on to come up with several civil laws and, and other laws that to govern the people. And by the time Moses got done, he had 613 laws for us to live by. No wonder people had a hard time living a godly life. Can you imagine trying to re even remember 613 laws, much less live by them? I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. This won't take long. So what happened was these men with 613 laws by the time of Jesus were adding laws to the laws so that you wouldn't break the 613 laws. These were man-made rules, not... God made rules. And anything man puts his mind to will bring a bondage. Anything God puts his mind to and releases brings a freedom. Are you with me? And so 
I want to cover this subject today, the 12 shades of gray, because Paul did a very good job here at laying it out. It's kind of hard to understand if we're not in that culture. Every culture is different, and every culture is, is governed by other thoughts and laws. So in our day and age, we, we bring people into the kingdom, and they're coming out of a worldly culture. And oftentimes, we expect them within a couple of weeks to look like us, act like us, walk like us, be like us, talk like us, be as holy as we are. Aww. Everybody knows there ain't nobody holy except Jesus, right? And so we, we put all this burdensome stuff on people and try to, try to govern their lives to make sure they don't get off the path. But the problem is sometimes we're so stiff and rigid with that that we drive them off of the path. And this is what Paul is alluding to here. He's telling those, look, some of you, you're elders in this thing. You understand that these people, these Gentiles, weren't raised with our laws. They didn't come up in our customs. We were raised in this from the time we were little kids. And they still wanted to hold to the dietary law, even though God had already released it through Peter, that that dietary law had been released now. You could eat anything as long as you had faith in God, pray over it, and the Word says even deadly things cannot harm you. Well, I don't ever tempt that, just to be quite honest with you. But I have ate at Taco Bell. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care who you are. So anyway, uh, here's today I, what I want to do is I want to ask you, how are we to respond to others who hold a different set of values than we do in the body of Christ? This causes confusion. No one in this place, do I believe, would ever be mean-spirited and try to force somebody into something. I, I just I know you I know you better than that. But this is a subject we need to cover because as revival breaks, more and more people are going to come in from different walks of life. And some of us know the things of God. We were raised with them, but so many do not. And they need us to gently teach them, guide them, and direct them. And you know, an awful lot of times we can put people in our own bondages because we have a thought that something should be a certain way. Um, I was trying to think. I'll just use my, myself as an example. I used to have a hard time. See, I was raised in Pentecost, and so if there was any dancing happened in church, brother, that had to be the Holy Ghost. Well, maybe it wasn't quite that bad. <laughs> But they would get some of those, those little Pentecostal ladies, and, and please, I'm not making fun of them. I promise you I'm not. They would just get under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and they, they felt as if they couldn't control themselves, and they would just dance around the church. They'd have their eyes closed. They'd be stepping over children. I don't know how they'd done that. It had to be the Holy Ghost. But, but we got it in our mind that that's the only way it could ever happen. Then I studied culture and found out that the Jews choreographed every dance they ever did. It was all planned out. They knew how. They knew which steps to do. And so Pastor Colleen and I, shortly after we were married, I was still steeped in my old Pentecostal stuff. We went to Worlds of Fun. I don't know why we ever went to Worlds of Fun, because I don't ride anything. I'm the, I'm the, yeah, it was, might have been Christian Day. I'm, I'm the only six-foot man riding the little kitty cars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Shoving, crying children out of the way so I can ride. I just don't I don't like I don't like the G force on all those big rides. I stand from the side and wave a Colleen, boy, I hope you're having fun on those big rides. The only thing they ever got me on was a log ride because it didn't last long. <laughs> that cold water would wake you up at the end. I'd pass out on the way down the hill and wake you up and <clears throat> anyway. I started off with a really good message here. Let's get back to it. 
anyway, we were at Worlds of Fun, and, and there was a group there. Uh, I don't think they exist any longer, but it was two sisters, and they were, they were singing contemporary gospel music. And, of course, I'm steeped in southern gospel. It doesn't have a steel guitar. I'm not sure it's ordained from God. <laughs> anyway, they're singing their song. And they're both doing this. I mean, they are, they are getting jiggy with it. And they're hopping and they're bobbing and they're wearing tight pants. Probably weren't tight, but at the time, they were those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And so we were walking by, and I saw them singing, and in my most holiness, I said to Colleen, I said, that ain't God. God isn't isn't ordaining their dance. Look at that. They're bopping all over the place. I don't see a, in that anywhere. And I was just ugly. I just ugly in spirit. I'll just be honest. I was ugly. And then... The Lord led us to a more charismatic church. And one Sunday, I'm just seeking God. I said, God, I'll do anything you want. He said, dance. (laughs) So I'm going, I don't even have hair stacked up to here that I can fling bobby pins, Lord. Because my only thought of dancing was... And, and the Lord said, dance. So I did. I went, thank you, Jesus. Is this all right? Thank you, Jesus. God said, no, I said, dance. I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Come on, some of you been there. You know what I'm talking about. Again, I said, no, I said, dance. I went, yeah! And I looked like a hog on ice. It was awesome. But the power of God hit me like nobody's business. And I mean, suddenly, every time we got to church, I'd be like, hold my leg back. I want to dance. And sometimes, I'm not kidding you, sometimes we would dance, we would dance in the spirit. Oh, it'd just be so awesome. I'd dance for 45 minutes. Anyone ever get the side ache? Oh, God. I got to sit down. But I couldn't quit. The Holy Spirit just wouldn't let me quit. I'd keep dancing. Side ache, go away another, another 40 minutes. And then I'd finally, the service would finally get to that place where new order was back in the house. And I learned so much in that time. During that time at that particular uh, venture of our life, I lost, you're going to love this, I lost my religion. I know that sounds, some people are like, what? No, I didn't lose my belief in God. I lost my man-made traditions and thoughts of how things should be done. That's right, you can clap on that. I lost all of that and, and came to the place where love was greater than my set of rules. Now, I'm not talking about when God sets a law, it's a true law. Anything that speaks of morality in the Bible is etched in God's stone. We don't have a right to change those things. We don't have a right to change morality. We don't have a right to change things that are earmarked as sin. We cannot accept those things. We cannot live with those things. But man often deems things sin that God does not necessarily deem as sin. Are you following my line of thinking? So Paul is speaking in this passage not of eternal issues 
or absolute truths, but about gray areas. You know, the Bible doesn't speak about every little thing. Did you know the Bible's silent on gambling? It doesn't say whether it's morally good or morally bad. It doesn't say that. And now, look at everybody. I can just see everybody grabbing their wallet. They're going, going to run out and get a scratcher right now. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Certain people's lives get trapped in an addiction. Then that, I know, is something to stay away from. You see? Some people have an addictive personality. Some don't. Some guy might be able to drop a quarter in a slot machine, and it's not sin to him. But for some people, it would capture them and take them into sin. So we have to learn. This is why the Word tells us to work out our own salvation. It doesn't mean we make up the morality or the sin issue rules of God. It means in the gray areas of our life, we have to work this out between us and the Lord and a clear conscience and not be forced by somebody else to adhere to their standard of practice, but work this out for ourselves. Are you following my line of thinking? All right. So let, let, let's, uh, let's try to get into this. Um, some of these things are, could be questionable, maybe even fuzzy. The word doesn't really, really uh, spell it out. But Christians can differ on issues and still be a part of the same organization. Are you with me? So on these issues, no scripture declares an unequivocal right or wrong. Just note that Paul's counsel for situations like this are very, very pointed. We've already read them. Let's take a look at shade number one. Shade number one in the first opening verses tells us to be open and not condescending. You'll find that in verses 1 through 3. We are to be open and not condescending to brothers who come into this place, sisters who come into this house. I want to set us on a path for true victory because we have, from the very beginning, tried to build a culture of honor. That doesn't mean that we've hit a home run on every issue in every way. But I want to equip us to be ready for an influx of new people as they come through these doors Sometimes they're going to think differently than us. And sometimes they may still think with, with uh, what we would think are thoughts far liberal from what we think. And we're going to have to learn how to embrace them and love them and teach them and nurture them by the word and allow God to change uh, the moral issues. We'll be there to help them with that and then allow God in them to work out the other issues that are a little more gray uh, in their lives. So be open not condescending. How many can say amen to that? All right. So let's go to the second shade. Remember that everyone answers to the who? The Lord, not you. This is tough, ain't it? This is tough. Because we're so used. We get used to believing a system in a certain way. And so I have a tendency, Ryan, to think my way's right. Right? Uh, I'll, ju I'll just throw you out one of my convictions, okay? I I don't like going to movies that are filled with language. I just, I, it just about tears me apart, especially if the Lord's name is used. So you know what we do? We look ahead of time. We go and we look ahead of time and find out what language is in that movie before we go. And you know what? Kind of like a world's of fun. The six-foot guy that's blocking all the children behind me, I'm sitting watching The Incredibles. It's awesome, man. It's great. But we got to remember that, that they answer to God, not me. And so I can't put my conviction on their life. Who can say amen to that? I'll tell you another thing I like. Occasionally, oh, I'm a preacher. Oh, my gosh. But occasionally, while I'm eating a Twinkie, got to have a Twinkie, I'll turn on my radio instead of 88 or 93, it'll be on 94. They play that country music. 
Oh, God. But I also have discernment enough to know that if that song's about cheating on your wife or drinking yourself into a stupor, I don't listen to that. You see what I'm saying? Not every secular song is bad. There's good secular songs. God inspires a lot of things, and he gives the writer a gift, and the gift, use, the gift is used. The gift, and the, the writer can use the gift for good, or he can use the gift for darkness. Sometimes it's used for darkness. A lot of times it's used for darkness. So I've got discernment enough to know that I can go over there, and I can listen for 10 minutes to some secular music, kind of keep up on styling and what's going on, because I'm a songwriter, and, and kind of just figure out where the industry's going as far as songwriting is concerned. But I've also got discernment enough to know I can't stay there for a very long time because that begins to chip away at who I am at the inner core of who I am and my belief system. Not everybody has that conviction. I've crawled in some of your cars. I see where the radio's set. And it's okay. It's all right. I'm not judging you. God knows. Let's get moving. Number three. Now, listen, if you have a conviction, cling to your conviction. My conviction is I don't go to movies with a lot of foul language or suggestive sex scenes. And sometimes we've seen those things even at home. Sometimes you get accosted right in your own living room. Now, I have, I have a weakness because I love hot rods. And I love those boys that race on TV. But every other word is... And a lot of that, no matter how much they bleep it, you know what they're saying. And so I have to be careful sometimes because I could sit and binge watch racing. I just love it. There's something about that I love. But my conviction is to not look and listen to those things. So I, I hold to my conviction. I held to it with my family. One of my rules with my kids when they were little that they have now confessed to me they did anyway was I didn't want them on games of shooting people and, and you would see blood and their brains splatter and all that goofy stuff because I felt like that would damage them and that they didn't need that. They didn't need to see that imagery, that life is harsh enough without that. But I clung to my convictions and I raised my children in a way and set a moral parameter for their lives. And you have the right to do that with your family. But we don't have the right to get all condescending on somebody else simply because their, their convictions are different than ours. Number four, whatever your values, your motive should be to please God. Does that help define it for you? I don't live willy-nilly just how I want to. I have to set the parameters for what I think is right and wrong for my life. But this... Whatever I value in my life, it needs to be so that I can be pleasing to God. Who could say amen? I'll move on because we're running out of time. Number five, you are ultimately accountable to the Lord. Not me. God. And so when I'm setting my value system number four, I have to remember that I'm going to stand in account to God for how I governed my life. Did you know the Bible calls us kings and priests? Even you ladies. Kings and priests. Guess what government or what land I govern? This kingdom. This is the kingdom I govern. I can't govern your kingdom. I can't govern Colleen's kingdom, even though we're one. I don't govern her kingdom. I share my opinions. We, we actually, there's a couple things in our life that we have different values on. Things that she thinks she can do that I don't think I can do. But I don't condemn her because of that. We just agree to go, well, that's your conviction. Great, this is mine. Because I can't rule her kingdom. I can only rule my kingdom. This is the only kingdom I've been given to rule here on earth. And it is a full-time job ruling my kingdom. Who could say amen to that? All right, let's move on. Uh, this is uh, number six. 
make sure that what your value system and you, what you feel are your freedoms are does not cause anyone to stumble. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of my own convictions. I'm not putting my conviction on you. But here's a couple of examples in my own life. Years ago, when I traveled and sang, for a short period of time, I was raised, uh, I hope I don't embarrass my folks, but my folks used to smoke in the day that neither one do now. They've given that up. But I was raised in a, in a house of smoke. And, and quite honestly, in, a, in the 60s, as a kid growing up, everybody smoked. If you didn't smoke, you were the rarity. Everybody smoked back then. So I was raised with that, and it was on television and all the TV shows. Batman was the only character that didn't smoke. He had, he had a mask on. He, he could have got away with it, right? And so long story short, you know, I, I got tempted by that, and I got to doing it. And years later when I was traveling and singing, I had quit smoking. I, I dabbled with it as a teenager, quit smoking, started traveling and singing and preaching the gospel, but then I got tempted by it again. And out of stupidity, I picked one up. And I started smoking again. Now, if you smoke, I'm not trying to put something on you. I'm just telling you my own life. For me, I always knew for me, I should not be doing this. I just knew it. I shouldn't do it. And one day, I was at my company work, and we were at a company softball game, and I was smoking a cigarette. What a great witness, right? Smoking a cigarette, if this was my conviction, and here I am. And someone came around the corner, and I ran face-to-face -face with them who frequented our concerts. And something on the inside of me said, you just hurt them. And I could see it in their face. This was something God and I was working out, but I hurt them. And to be quite honest, I never saw them at another concert. Because it chipped away at what their perception of Christianity should be. And I'm not saying that, you know, I could change that or fix that. I can't. But... I want to make sure that my value system doesn't cause someone to stumble. You see, we work with recovering alcoholics and drug addicts. Pastor Colleen and I know what the Word says. It says to drink wine, but not in excess. That's what the Word says. But you've got to understand that biblical wine, even the fermented biblical wine, was less than 3%. It was very watered down. It was not intended to cause intoxication, only if you over-imbibed it. Okay, so it wasn't a lifestyle that people lived of alcohol all the time. That was not their lifestyle. After they ran out of the fresh grape juice, all that would be left would be the fermented wine that they had stored so that they would have something to drink later, and the alcohol content was very, very low. So, <clears throat> but Colleen and I adopted the understanding, because we had, we had been raised with some people who tested us in those because we always thought, no, you don't drink, 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 you don't drink. And then we got in with some Christian people who said, oh, it's okay to drink. And so we played with that for a little bit. I'm just being honest with you. Is it all right if I'm just honest with you? We played with that a little bit until the first time, and I wasn't drinking real alcohol. I had what, what do they call those things? An old duel, a near beer, right? And I was drinking one of those things, and I know, I know there's nothing wrong with that, but I was drinking that, and a lady walked up, and her face fell and hit the floor. And I just, my heart said, oh, my gosh. This was before we were senior pastors. We were working underneath our pastors who would have slapped us on the back and said, good job. But when I saw that lady's face, I said, I cannot do this anymore. And Colleen and I agreed we cannot do this anymore. Then the Lord entrusted us after that to work with recovering alcoholics and drug addicts and people who needed freedom from the thing that had trapped them. And can you imagine what it would do if one of those sweet, lovely people that we wrapped our arms around with, stayed with, worked with for a year, year and a half, two years, was to walk in some restaurant somewhere and see us drinking? They would think I was a hypocrite. 
because I told them it's not a good way, and now I'm doing it. You see where I'm going with this? So, number seven, do not let others impose their values on you and vice versa. These are all the things that Paul has mentioned in this chapter. Don't let others impose their values on you. If you you don't mind scooting a boot at a wedding and having fun, as long as the songs aren't filthy and trashy, have fun. We're Christians. We should have the most fun of anybody in the world. Can I just, can I just do something right now? I release you to enjoy your Christianity. Christian life should be enjoyed. We ought to be the happiest people on the planet instead of running around looking like we fell into a pickle barrel. We should be the happiest, most joyous people on the planet, loving God. And I'm the kind of person that if you have a conviction, I will be very careful not to do that in front of you if I'm free in that area because I don't want to hurt you. I don't want, to, I don't want you to stumble. I don't want you to fall. Are you with me so far? Let's move on. Number eight, we're almost there. We're only 12. Make love. This, was, this started around verse 14. Make love your highest aim. Not trying to perfect somebody. Are you hearing me? Not trying to conform somebody. I conform to the word, and I teach them conform your life to the word. But in the gray areas of the gospel, in the gray areas that are not mentioned, I don't have a right to try to set some parameter on your life. My goal is to love you until you feel the love of God. To love you where you are, to love you as you are, to love you for who you are, and to stay with you and to keep loving you, even if your value system and mine is different. I keep loving you, and hopefully, if there is something wrong with that person's value system, my love for them and my staying with them will eventually show them there's a way out of whatever it is that maybe isn't pleasing unto God in their life. Is everyone with me so far? Slap your neighbor a high five and say, this is about done. Number nine, we must major on the majors and minor on the minors. The major things of the gospel, faith, faith in God, faith. And to let God remove our sin and then start living above the practice of sin because we've been released from it. And to live in the wholeness and the fullness of who he is and allow the Holy Spirit who's resident in us to to lead us, guide us, direct us, and help others get free. Those are majors. Not on what music a man listens to. You know, rather he drinks three Red Bulls before he starts the day. That's not my business. God will take care of that. Are you with me? Number 10. We must pursue peace by adding value to people's lives. Pursue peace. If we pursue peace and we, out of that peace, we're already operating in love, right? And if we're moving out of the peace of God and the heart of peace of God, then I can add value to those in the body. I can add value to someone else. Because I'm secure in me. I don't feel like i got to change you because I'm insecure with something in me. I'm so complete in me. I can love you where you are and keep adding value to you and let you know how important you are to God. Is this all right? So number 10, pursue peace. Add value. So often when we're trying to dictate our values to somebody else. Really what we do is we condescend on them and put them in a bondage. And that's what was happening with Paul in the Roman church. This is why he's instructing them because you had feuding factions in the church over non-issue issues. Some celebrated on this day. Some didn't revere it at all. 
Well, they were both free to do what it is they want to do in God. God doesn't judge us on days, and He doesn't judge us on food, but He does judge us on the sin issues and the moral issues and the things that are hidden in His Word. I'm almost done. Number 11, do not destroy anyone by imposing your value system on them. See, there are some people who will know that you don't do something and you draw a stiff, rigid line, and I've seen that happen. You draw this stiff, rigid line, and you make everybody who comes in contact with you in your life dance to that conviction. You, you literally, you just impose it upon their life. You've got to do this. You know, I told you about how ugly I was about dancing. Oh, my God, you're not even safe. Well, the truth was those, those young ladies were so filled with the joy of the Lord, but in my mind, you're going to a sinner's hell. Come on, I'm being honest. Because I was trying to impose my value system on them, and you can destroy someone's life by trying to put a non-issue minor thing on somebody to where you mess up their life, mess up their walk with God. They'll walk away feeling like the church is nothing but judgment. How many of you heard of people don't want to come into the house of God? Because you've heard them say it, because, well, I'll just get judged. I'll be judged. Well, you know why? Because either them or somebody in their family has been judged. I've heard of churches, and this is no kidding. This happened to a friend of mine, pastor friend of mine. He had, he had a lady of the night walk into his church because she needed God. And there were women in his congregation that knew that she was a lady of the street. And the pastor wasn't there when this happened. And that lady came to the front and wanted to get saved, and the women of the church ran her out. Why? Because they were imposing their value system on her. Well, she was coming because she was in pain. She was coming because she had a sin issue. She was coming because she needed the master. But you know what she got? Rejection. And the rejection didn't come from God. The rejection came by, by stiff, rigid, yeah. hypocritical, pharisaical thinking. Yeah. Not a one of them should have should have even for a moment entertained the idea of running that woman off. I've had people come in here so drunk they can't even stand up and come to the altar and sober up when you lay hands on them. Sometimes they'll be disruptive and just drive everybody crazy. But they need Jesus. And I, I don't tell them, go home and sober up. I just deal with the situation. I don't want to destroy anybody. We don't need to destroy anybody. We need to help people. Are you with me? All right. And last but not least, our 12th shade. Anything is wrong that is not done out of personal faith. What? <laughs> if we impose a value system on somebody and they try to live it out, but they have no faith in it, they're wasting their time. In fact, you might make a sinner out of them simply because you're trying to make them conform to something that is not a major issue. It's a minor one. And you can cause them to lose out with God completely. And the way Paul words this, he brings it down personal. Don't you do anything that you can't do wholeheartedly in faith. If you have faith in it, hold on to it. If you have faith in it, it's your value and it's your conviction, then you stand up for it. But don't impose it on somebody else. Do what you do by faith, because the just shall live by faith. Who could say amen to that? Father, we thank you today. I know, Father, we went over our time today, but I thank you, Father, for those who have been attentive and leaned in, Father, to this message. Father, we want to be the body of Christ.
that looks like the body of Christ. We don't want to be a Romans 14 church, Father, that is feuding and fighting between each other over non-issue things. We want to embrace one another, build a culture of honor, and help one another to the finish line. We don't want to destroy one another. We don't want to do things, Father, that hurt one another. Father, I ask you here and now, Father, under the sound of my voice, that you would etch this message into our heart, etch it into our memory, Those who would want to take these notes, Father, and keep them, Father, we'll get them to them. But I ask, Lord, that you would lead us, guide us, direct us, Father. Put in our heart a love that rises above any difference that we might have over a non-issue situation in the body of Christ. Help us to love one another and make love our highest aim. Let us operate in peace, Father, and add value to the lives of those around us, Father, and not tear them down because we don't think they conform to our system of value. God, I'm believing and trusting today, God, that you're going to lead us and guide us and direct us and from this moment forward, Father, we ask, Lord, that you, would, that you would emblazon and stamp this message into our heart, our mind, our memory, and let us, Father, hold on to this for the remainder of our days. And we ask, Father, that you would be able to trust us with those babes who walk through the door and are growing in the things of God, that we would not destroy them but embrace them and help them, Father. It only takes one angry word, one harsh thing, Father, sometimes to cause a rip or a division. So, Father, we ask, Lord, that you'd knit our hearts together in the fullness of the faith and we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said. We're so glad you listened to this message today. Our goal is to bring hope, encouragement, to help you win, all while building God's kingdom. At Passion Church, we believe in community. If you would like to partner with us in prayer or giving, then send us a message on Facebook or through our website, passionchurchmo.com. We'd love to hear how God is impacting your life through this ministry.